So it's it's simple. It's very simple, very monotonous. Um, it becomes you know pretty consistent. But for me, what I love is each time I go into train, I can track the results throughout a season because I know exactly where I was the day before. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to episode number 135. My guest today is professional swimmer Michael Andrew. Now, you might have heard of Michael Andrew before. He is probably one of the more non-traditional swimmers in, in the training sense and the diet sense and a number of other things. He really breaks the mold on what competitive swimmers might be doing in the future. He's really pioneered the ultra-short race pace training. He's really the first competitive or professional swimmer who's followed it for a number of years and we're really starting to see the the outcomes of that with some incredible times and with michael really starting to hit his peak and hit his stride so michael's about to compete in the world champs which will be starting very shortly but on today's podcast we talk about a number of things we talk about ultra short race pace training his diet he's a, currently on the keto diet and he's been been on that for uh, quite a while and we also talk about what he does during the, the day. So he, he surfs a lot. He trains 10 times a week, but his typical session is only about two kilometers. And uh, we also talk about how he, he travels and he, he's able to enjoy quite a good lifestyle while competing at the very top level. So we talk, also mentioned the International Swimming League, which is a, a new competition, which is a little bit like the 2020 in cricket, which is kind of like a, a different style of racing. You compete for a team and that is looking like it could be where a big part of the sport is actually heading. So we also talk about the ISL, which Michael's a, a big a big driver in. So let's jump into the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Michael. We um, we were actually in Tanya Puri in Thailand at the same time. Um, you and your family were oh. there as you were training in, Oct- in October. And um, yeah, do we meet in person? No, I didn't get a chance to say to say hi. I, I saw you training a couple of times. But um, yeah. we were at the, uh, oh, who was the speaker? Uh, the South African swimmer was there at the time oh, doing Penny. the, yes, Penny Haynes. Yeah, we were, um, myself and some of our, our swimmers were there at the same time. So that was a, a really good talk. And I know with a lot of the athletes that we had at Tanya Pura, they were watching you train uh, <laughs> during the day. And I think that's probably one of the most, one of the most unique things about what you're doing compared to a lot of other swimmers is you've got a very different style and, and method of training. And for, yeah. for those people listening, they probably don't know, may not know too much about it, but um, you've basically been doing ultra short race pace training for, for many years and you're not necessarily doing these long strenuous sessions that break you down. It's, uh, it's just all about short, sharp sprinting. So can you um, go into a little bit of detail about that and, um, and what, your, what your thoughts are after doing it for so many years? Yeah, for sure. So I guess ever since my age group career really started, ever since I really pursued swimming, We've been doing everything very differently um, from the training to diet to mental, like the way we deal with our family. All of it's different. Um, the training being the most controversial. Um, growing up, I my dad swam in South Africa. He went the traditional route. He did the yardage. He you know, destroyed his body, and he never really believed in that. And so when he started coaching me, he did everything he could to seek information, seek data. What does science say? And how does our body react to the way um, we push it? And that's kind of where we ran into Dr. Brent Russell, uh, Australian originally, um, based in San Diego. And he had come up with ultra short race pace training. And um, the premise behind it, well, I guess if you were to kind of put it into like a single sentence, 
USRPT is only like specificity rules. Like that's all it is. So whenever I train, I want to be as specific to racing as possible. And the reason we do that is because our brain codes every movement so specifically so that when we come to race, if I've swum hundreds this and drill and kick and upside down, duck dive, whatever the heck it is we do nowadays, my body's got all those different movements coded. So when I race, like all this mixed training produces mixed results. So we try and be as streamlined as possible. Now, the yardage is much less. It's a lot shorter. Um, I'm typically going, I mean, my big sessions are maybe mm, like 2,000 meters, 2,500 meters if I'm like going nuts um, in like the morning. And it's just 100 pace at speed. Like it's always, I mean, it's very intense. I was speaking to a couple athletes earlier this morning about my training um, because I'm here in Singapore now getting ready for world champs. And they asked me, like, so are you sprinting every single practice? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, is that crazy? And they're like, I could never do that. But it's like, you know, one of those things, it's like, yes, it's really hard. But people look at the people look at the numbers. Like, people look at, oh, you got to be doing 6,000 yards to finish 100 or whatever. And it's it doesn't make sense. And the body doesn't need it. And the science is there. Now we've been able to kind of test it with USRPT. So I guess if I was to run through a typical, I can kind of, I was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but if I run through a typical session, if I'm training for a 100 freestyle long course, say my best time is 60 seconds, I'm going to take that 60 seconds, cut it down into, you know, quarters of the race. So four lengths. Um, and to make the math a little easier, like I'm training, say I'm training in a short course meter pool, 25 meters. I'd be holding 15 seconds for each length. The moment I go over that 15, we cut it off and take a break for like a full cycle, like a 30 second break. Yeah. And we try and go a max of, we never go more than 30, 25s for a hundred set. But inside those 30, 25s, if we fail three times, that is, that's the end. Like we stop there <clears throat> because my body has had this neural fatigue where it knows, okay, like that's the stopping point. I don't want to be pushing my body or training my body to swim a time slower than what I need to go. Um, and a lot of the time, like the pace times I hold in practice are all dictated off of what I go like personal best, like what's my best time currently. So it's, it's simple. It's very simple, very monotonous. Um, it becomes, you know, pretty consistent. But for me, what I love is each time I go into train, I can track the results throughout a season because I know exactly where I was the day before we write down every split and something we've run into is in a team setting. How do we implement this? And so that's something we're starting to experiment with and work with other teams around the country, around the world who are experimenting and coming up with ways to do that. Yeah, because well, yeah. I mean, watching you, um, watching your training <laughs> in Thailand, no, it's, it's it's really interesting. And watching your training in Thailand, you're going um, like feet on wall. So you're doing the turn uh, mm-hmm. and, and getting the time feet on wall, uh, wall which is a yeah. lot more accurate, obviously, to, to a race. Very. And um, uh, yeah, and as you said, it's uh, getting it in that team environment is probably the more difficult thing, isn't it? Because it's it requires a lot of times at once. So if you've got more than a couple swimmers, it it must be challenging to it do. It is individual for sure. Um, we've seen some teams become very successful in like you divide your athletes into groups. But the tough thing is, as you get like for me, like I really can't train with anyone because not very many people can hold the same paces. And it's nice having my dad get a watch every time. So we've had groups where they'll go like uh, half of the athletes are in the water. Half of the athletes are out of the water running a stopwatch on their buddy. Yeah. So you can get like 
certain things there with specificity. Yeah, that's really good. And how many sessions a week are you doing with, uh, well, yeah, because um, it's all USRPT. So how many times a week are you in? Yeah, so it's, it's changed quite a bit since we've moved to California. Um, what we go typically is we'll go Monday, Monday, Tuesday will be a double. Wednesday will be a single. So we've got five there. And then Thursday, Friday, double. And then single Saturday and Sunday off. So about 10 sessions in the water. Um, but we we don't, I don't know, it's it's interesting because the sessions are relatively short, a lot of rest involved. Um, and then after our morning swim, we will go and surf maybe three to five hours if the surf is good. <laughs> and then we'll swim again in the evening doing our sprints. And like the evening sessions are always over speed. So maybe we'll start with a like a single 100 pace set, but our overspeed is just um, 12 to 16, 25s off the blocks, lots of rest all out for time. Um, and it's not it's not as USRPT in a sense because we have a longer rest period. Like when we do a, a 100 pace set, we're swimming um, 15 second intervals, so like 15 seconds in between each repeat. But when we do the overspeed, we give our body enough time for the heart rate to drop a little bit. And is that something that you've started doing recently or have you, you've done that for a while? We, we've done it pretty much since the beginning. Um, for me, it was just the best way to feel the speed that I need for a 50. It's the most accurate way to get there. Um, yeah, no, it was great. And we've actually, we just recently started adding, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we were in Turkey not too long ago training with the Energy Standard Group. And I was doing sprints with Ben Proud and Flora Manadu and Chad as well. And... Um, we were going to the 15 all out, like no underwater, straight push onto the surface. And I noticed like I was able to get to a much higher tempo, higher turnover right away. So we've started adding that a little bit into it. So it's not that we are, you know, closed mind, like USRBT is the only way. Like we add some things, but other than that, we keep it very specific. And one thing I saw you doing in Thailand as well was, you do, and just sort of through the vlogs that you do as well, you do a lot of filming with the GoPros and the cameras and you're yes, always analyzing always. your technique and always making small adjustments to your dive or underwaters, whatever it might be. Uh, how often are you doing that yeah. sort of stuff? No, it's um, 100% of the time. So even, even now here in Singapore, so my dad unfortunately is not with me here in Singapore, but I find myself as an athlete, every time I swim a length, when I hear the time, I automatically think, okay, what did I do in that race or in that swim that made it good? Or what did I do that can be better? Um, and I'm constantly adjusting, analyzing and seeing strokes. And then we have like Russ, our team guys getting GoPro footage or I'm getting GoPro footage. You know, so like it's good. One thing, one of our philosophies is, or something my dad likes to say is he's my assistant coach and I'm the head coach. And it makes so much sense because the athlete has to be so bought in. And to me, being bought in is constantly seeing where can I improve. And that's mostly through my stroke because I let dad focus in on what sort of sets I need to be doing. Yeah. And I think from a lifestyle, lifestyle uh, perspective, you looks like you're living a pretty good lifestyle with a lot of travel involved, um, obviously oh. surfing a lot um, in some you know, very nice locations and, um, and, and not really broken down in the sense of just, you know, the re ongoing training where your body just really, you know, you want that recovery, you want that sleep. So, um, how, how have you sort of, how, how have you found that over the last couple of years and compared to maybe some of the other athletes that you've, you've seen, like, what's the difference between you and maybe someone who's doing 10, 10 sessions a week, but they might be doing 60, 70 Ks a week. 
Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's a lot of things different. I feel, um, <clears throat> I, I feel very blessed that I, one, I can afford to travel. Um, this is really the first year where I've been able to do as much travel as I have. Uh, it's been incredible. I mean, I've already logged, I think almost a little over 20,000 miles this year, just flying back and forth, racing the champion series and the pro series and Mare Nostrum and Setacoli. And then, um, you know, I, I think one thing that really sets me, what makes it different for me is uh, a frame of mind. I think mentally I know, like I, well, I personally love it. Like I want, I love to travel. I love racing. Um, I love being abroad as much as I do miss the surf. <laughs> like our surf reports the last couple of weeks have been amazing. <laughs> and I have, but it's, it's one of those things that gives me life. And so I'm excited when I get to go and travel to wherever it may be. And I think a lot of athletes, at least a lot of swimmers I know, aren't really that eager to travel all the time you know it's i think there's this um i don't know it's just kind of a something that's can, been kind of conditioned into the athletes is that we just we train for a long period of time we get we stay at home and enjoy our time and i i do i, I enjoy being home but you know there's there's a certain kind of like okay you have to enjoy it in order for it to work out and i think i've been successful with it up to now because i've enjoyed it so much yeah, and I think there's definitely truth to absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I think that's true with being home as well. Like I, we, I travel quite a bit with the clinics and the camps that we do, and uh, it's, I like kind of having something within a couple months' time to look forward to, like going overseas or going on a trip and just kind of mix it up. And then when you get back, you're just like, oh, it's kind of nice to be home and you can go into your normal routine. Um, or else no, if you're six months at home, it's just it's, it's a long time. It just Things can get a little yeah. bit monotonous that way. Definitely. No, I completely agree. And I mean, it was harder at first since we moved to California. We've only been there since December now. <clears throat> and so I feel like, oh, I want to, you know, interact with all the new friends I'm meeting and enjoy the surf, check out new spots. And, you know, I think it's good to understand, like, for me, there will come a time that I'll be home and I'll get to do that. But right now it's, you know, time to work. And it's cool because when I was younger, I think had we moved to California earlier, it would have been very bad. Like I probably would have just focused on surfing and all of the other extracurricular activities out there because I would have been, I wasn't as, you know, mature in knowing, okay, like swimming is my career now. Like it's, it's a passion. Yes. But I'm also, this is how I'm going to earn a living and be able to support my family in the future. So it's yeah. Good mind shift. Yeah, definitely. There's something about, uh, I think for me, like I, I live about an hour and a half from the surf and I'll normally make the trip once a week to go down there. But when yeah. I do eventually move there, I feel like, you know, work, coaching might take a, a back seat to it. So it's like, there's, it's, it's kind of that balance, yeah. isn't it? Where um, something that you love so much can just like, you know, take over or it's easier. Um, yeah. But if you've got that, you've got that drive, you've got that goal and especially you where you are in your career right now, like it's a very exciting time, uh, especially with yeah. the ISL stuff coming up. Uh -huh. And um, and we'll talk about that now because I think that's, that's quite interesting is, um, the, yeah, yeah. The International Swimming League is this new sort of, I guess, competition that's that's come about, and and you're all really at the forefront of that, and it's um it's all starting in October. So do you want to um, give a bit of background on that and and what the type of racing is going to be? Yeah, no. So for me, I guess the easiest way to explain what the ISL is doing <laughs> is they're giving athletes an opportunity to race more often in exciting venues with intense viewership 
and to reward these athletes with money that you know is quite substantial like it's going to be exciting because people will get to follow swimming like they never have before a lot of the times it's you know every four years every two years the world gets excited about swimming they watch it I mean, maybe not actually not even every two years. It's just the Olympics, really. Mm-hmm. The Olympics brings so much viewership for swimming. And then after that, it dies down because there's nothing else. The ISLs, I think, is going to bridge that gap where companies and commercial people are going to want to invest and be part of the world of swimming. And it's going to grow. I don't know if it will be like NBA or NFL or how long it will take to get there. But I do think it's going to become a household sport um, and it's going to give the athletes, you know, reason to stick along. Like you don't have to work a side job just to try and pay the bills in order to train Mm. for a sport you really can't earn. And ISL is going to do that, but uh, it's going to be incredible. Um, For me, I've never experienced, well, I've been in one or two dual meet situations, but speaking to a lot of the NCAA and college athletes, what they're so excited about is that the ISL is going to be basically a professional league that replicates what goes on in college with dual meets. Like dual meets are apparently, I mean, I've never experienced this, but dual meets are one of the most exciting things a swimmer can experience because it's two or three or four teams going head to head. You know, times don't really matter. It's all about who places, who scores. You know, every athlete contributes to the team. And the team that's victorious at the end gets to celebrate. Like, it's it's crazy. It's such a cool um, idea. And I think it's going to go off really well. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it's kind of like, and we were talking about this earlier, I see it as almost like the 2020 cricket um, where you've got these teams, people from all over the world are in these different teams and they, yeah. they compete for those teams. And there's a lot of um, just the competition side of it's really exciting. And, it's, and when you see those some of those college meets, like, man, the crowd's getting into it. And as you said, the times don't matter, but the competition is unreal, and just the level of excitement in the Absolutely. air is um, is at that next yeah. level. So, uh, no, I this- completely- so, something that I love too so much about this is the fact that I get to now be on a team. Like I, I've never really swum in a team setting, so I'm going to have a team of athletes that I get to hang out and travel with. And these athletes aren't all from the U.S. Like there, I have we, there's Australians on our team. We've got. Germans, um, we've, I mean, all over the world. And that's, it's pretty cool because where else would you get to do something like that? Yeah, exactly. And it's basically, the, is the competition from October through till February? Um, so October through December, actually. Um, the final meet will be uh, Vegas, Mandalay Bay in December. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the, that's the goal. I think, I believe we have, is it three three competitions before Mandalay Bay to basically earn your spot? Um, so the U.S. teams will have one in the U.S., one international, anywhere in Europe. I believe we are um, we're Dallas, Texas first, and then Budapest, and then there's a meet in Washington. Uh, we might want to fact check this, but it's like a duel for all the U.S. teams, and then whoever has the most points goes on to Mandalay Bay to kind of fight the other three teams for the, the crown, which would be pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be really exciting. And I, I think uh, with all of the, kind of the travel involved and the regular racing, your style of training will work really well with that, with not being broken <laughs> down, you know, the middle of a season where everyone's so heavy and, you know, they're looking right. for, for some taper. Um, I think it'll suit, obviously suit your type of training really well. And, you know, how do you find it as, 
with the type of training you're doing, surfing a lot, do you get to the end of a week and you're completely stuffed or are you generally feeling pretty good, you know, pretty consistent across a week? Um, it, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a, um, so like the beginning of the week will maybe start up here and Monday, Tuesday, I'll deplete, be pretty sore. Wednesday, we'll do the one. I'll feel a bit better. And then Thursday, Friday, I'll get sore. And then Saturday, we try and end on a pretty fresh note and, and we take Sunday off. So it's kind of a, you know, I end about where I started, but there's definitely a bit of soreness and fatigue that's carried because, you know, if you're surfing multiple hours a day and swimming, the like you're still like the surfing to take it out of yeah. It is, yeah, it is. And what I've loved so much is like, I hate endurance training, especially in the pool. Like I don't like, we, in the beginning of the season, we did four weeks of three sets of 30 fifties at 200 pace with 20 seconds between each 50. So I was doing 90 fifties every day for four weeks and it was so painful. I would do sets, butterfly, freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke. It's just, but I had the base, but now I don't really have to do that because I'm doing it in the surf. The surf, I'm out there just looking for a wave. So my brain isn't thinking, oh, I'm training, I'm training. To me, I'm just looking for the next break in the surf, <laughs> which is awesome. So it encourages me to push myself harder. Yeah, it's good. I reckon, um, yeah, I, I do most surf and water swimming these days. And the especially during summer, if I get out once or twice a week, I'm so much stronger and so much more aerobically fit. If I'm being doing, you know, two or three hours in the surf and if you get to that point where you can't paddle anymore, which, you know, is always a kind of good feeling, um, you know, you've had yeah. a good workout and it's, you, you might even paddle, like you can paddle five to, in a big surf, five to 10 Ks, I reckon, if you're constantly going, um, yeah. easily oh, covering that sort yeah. of distance. Easily. No, definitely. And your, um, and your diet's also quite different than, uh, than I guess a lot of other swimmers. You're on the keto diet, you're, st- you're still currently doing yeah. that? Yeah, correct. Um, keto diet. And I, I mean, I have help from <laughs> supplements, uh, ketone supplements, because for me as an athlete, it is, it's still pretty uncharted territories. There's a lot of science coming out. Um, but I'm still experimenting with sometimes dual feeling during the meets, having a little bit of carbs, just that I burn it up, but it's not enough to create spike or crash in insulin. So that once that's kind of gone out, the ketones in my system can you know, stay fueled. So I still stay in ketosis with a little bit of carbs. So it's just kind of, you know, it's very individual, 100%. Um, and for me, I've really enjoyed experimenting with it. And I've noticed massive benefits on fueling off of fats over carbohydrates. Um, my energy in the day is better. My body feels healthier. One thing, too, is I've been able to adjust to jet lag very quickly. My use is more efficient so i can hold my breath longer so there's, there's so many benefits that the keto diet promotes that people just don't know about and it's it's definitely changing i think keto is probably one of the biggest things right now in the health industry and uh, it'll be cool to see where it goes with you know performance um athletes very soon yeah that's that's awesome it's very um yeah in the last couple of years i mean i've had a uh, had a relative who's uh, who started i think at the start of the year and he's down like 10 or 15 kilos and it hasn't been completely strict with it but um you know this is someone who's just a big, and it's because you can eat some pretty good foods with it too it's like you said uh, bacon eggs i'm in you know it's like it's an easy way to sort of sell yeah. it to a lot of people uh, because there's some good foods involved absolutely no well i think too it's it's gonna well i can't say it, it cures cancer but i think a lot of um we've heard a lot of stories and have friends that have you know 
dealt with cancer and by just cutting out all carbs and sugar killed it because because the cancer can't feed off of it unless it's got carbs so there's a lot of interesting things going around for sure yeah definitely and what are you what are you most excited about uh at the moment what's um what have you got coming up and what are you enjoying at the moment yeah so i guess after world well i guess right now the biggest thing is worlds worlds is nine days nine days away from now um and I'm stoked. I have a very heavy schedule. Um, a lot of 50s, yes, but it'll still be a pretty heavy schedule. 100 breasts, um, possible relays, two possible relays. So it'll be a great time of racing. For me, I'm, I'm just excited to race in the long course worlds. It'll be my first long course world champs. Um, the pool venue looks incredible. And then right after worlds, I go to Tokyo. I'll race in Tokyo a couple days later. From Tokyo to Janan, Janan to Singapore, all racing for the World Cups. After that, I get to go home for a few days, and then I fly to New York with my dad to go and um, hang out with Voss at the Taste of Tennis. So that'll be kind of nice, like my little mini vacation, and then I'll come home and start training again, getting ready for the second cluster of the World Cups and our first ISL meet. So the rest of the year is just lots of traveling, lots of racing, and um, a lot of surfing when I'm home. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Well, best of luck for Worlds. That's that's really exciting to be your first long course world. Um, that's yeah. yeah, that'd be great. How are you how are you feeling leading up to it? Oh, amazing. The training's been really good. For me, what was interesting is well, what I've loved about being here in Singapore for our holding camp is the last couple of weeks I've been racing so much that I haven't really had a solid training regimen. So like I haven't been training in our traditional sense, like doing sets every day. And so it's nice to now, you know, be in a room where I can just relax. <clears throat> I can edit my videos, focus on training, eat well, sleep well, just get my body kind of back to level so that when it comes time to, for Worlds, I'm fresh and ready to go. Because um, there's definitely a point, you know, when I flew back from Rome that I was dealing with a cough, I was feeling tired, my body had been, you know, physically drained. And this has just been perfect for me going into worlds that I feel strong still. I have the endurance and just having a great time getting ready. Like I'm, I'm actually very, very, very excited for worlds. Um, and I think there's going to be some fast swimming, both for myself and from other athletes, of course. Yeah. There's been some good times in the lead up to it. And I've, I've been following a lot of the Aussie swimmers and, uh, yeah, it's, it should be, should be a good competition. So I'm looking forward to, to watching it. And you've uh, and you've got yep. your your YouTube channel and your obviously Instagram account as well. You're doing a lot of um, a lot of videos lately on YouTube. And you do a lot of a lot of vlogging, and um, I think it's really good just to get an insight into what you go through on a on a daily basis, the type of training, and from a you know, as a coach's perspective, I like to see you know what's what's Michael up to, you know what's what's he doing, and, and um, you know what's working, um, but also just the the other things around it. So. Um, where can people find you on, on YouTube and on Instagram and, and where else would you like them to, uh, to sort of check out what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I do a lot with social media. I enjoy being creative. I actually, my phone's sitting here, but like I enjoy being able to create while I travel. I actually have a new vlog coming out. Well, this evening, um, of our training camp here in Singapore. And you can find that YouTube is just Michael Andrew, uh, pretty simple. And then Instagram, Twitter, all, everything else is just Swimmer Michael. 
So I try and keep it nice and easy. <laughs> yeah, cool. And we'll link we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and we'll put this appreciate this podcast up on our YouTube channel as well, and put the links there too. So Super. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, yeah, and, and, and sharing all that with us. And um, good luck for for Worlds. It should be a really exciting competition. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.